You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. Hello, this is Michael Webb. Some people talk about selling processes like qualification and selling to senior level decision makers. And other people talk about process tools and systems thinking and data and measurement. But not many people talk about how these things can come together to motivate people. And that's what we want to talk about in this podcast. My guest is Steve Hollingsworth. Uh, Steve, we've known each other for about a year now, I think, and had a whole bunch of conversations. Um, please tell my audience a little bit about your background. Hi, sure. Hi, Michael, and thanks for having me on on your your show here. Uh, yeah, we, we've known each other for about a year now. It's been been great collaborating with you. So a little bit about my background is uh, I'm the principal for a consulting company called Automizzi, and that company focuses on sales and marketing effectiveness projects for uh, mainly mid-market and some large-cap B2B selling organizations. Uh, I've been doing that for about 10 years now. Prior to that, I was um, a sales leader for a couple of B2B selling organizations and kind of used that, that basket of experience to uh, set upon this uh, this career as a consultant. So that's me. Super. Super. So not all sales guys get interested in process thinking. Um, what got you started going in that direction? Yeah, there, I had the, the great fortune of working for um, a gentleman back at America Online named Richard Rasmus, and this would have been in oh, the early 2000s. And uh, Richard was a was a, a COO by trade, and um, we found ourselves in the, in the same organization at AOL, focused on the broadband market, and uh, being being steeped in continuous improvement. Uh, Rich wanted to bring that thinking into the commercial organizations there, and um, uh, put out to the commercial organizations an opportunity to uh, identify a project that could be used. For a uh, for a Six Sigma effort, and um, my project was selected, and and as part of that project, I was able to go through the training and uh, get get some experience in in applying systems thinking to a business problem, where you had a kind of an unknown root cause, and you had to go gather data and experiment and come up with a solution to test the solution, and it was a the project ended up being a, a terrific success uh, and a great learning experience for me and. And that, and that kind of got me on this uh, path in terms of applying, you know, this systems thinking, this continuous improvement approach to the, the commercial functions of sales and marketing. Okay, super. So then for a time, as I understand, you were also a uh, part of your consulting practice involved some sales training, some Miller and Hyman, if I'm not mistaken. So how did that process thinking experience that you have how did that affect your uh, sales training consultant? Yeah, so, so the, the Miller Hyman Group, as, as as you know, most of your readers and listeners will probably know, uh, you know, has a, a large a basket of really strong intellectual property in the area of uh, sales training, uh, and and a lot of you know methodology that I, that you know I would consider a great standard work methodology for the the, the different functions within a, within a selling system, creating opportunities, managing opportunities, managing relationships. So you know, as part of applying systems thinking, you always want to 
you know, method or, or standard model that you could then compare to to help uh, identify, you know, those, those uh, undesirable results that you're getting. Uh, so uh, it's very compatible. I found it very compatible. And, and the other, you know, with the other principle of, of uh, you know, making the system visible so that you can measure having a standard methodology for the way you, you do your work in, in sales gives you, um, it helps you make the system visible. It gives you things that you can then see during the process that you could kind of coach or correct. Um, so I, find, I, find it, I found it a very good method. And so two sales managers and uh, salespeople themselves, what do you think are the key uh, ideas or principles from process thinking and Six Sigma and the like that can make their life better? I mean, that, that can really help them. Yeah, uh, there's a couple that I think are, are just profound. And it's the it's that important, but unurgent part of your job, right? To, to, that, that, yeah. that those managers and leaders really need to focus on. But one is a, a focus on quality over quantity, right? And so when, you know, in lean operations, it, 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 there's, there's a, a huge focus on doing it right versus doing it faster. And uh, you know, a, a mistake I think a lot of sales organizations make is thinking they can work harder and work their way out of a problem and really, it's the, it's the process that needs to be fixed. So focusing on quality and not quantity. Um, also focusing on the processes and not the people who are, who are stuck working in those processes, right? Oftentimes, we reward and punish people for the outcomes of the system that we've set up. And it's really the system that deserves uh, some of that uh, attention. Uh, in addition to in addition to the people. Yeah, I I remember uh, having a discussion with a VP of sales of about a eighty million dollar um, manufacturer of respirators a number of years ago, and he was okay with thinking about processes, but he said to me, "This we in the sales team, we if we improve ourselves only." Then the rest it's not going to it's not going to come through to the rest of the organization. The rest of the organization has to improve with us. I mean, and that's what he was most afraid of that that the sales process would be would hold him accountable, and the rest of the organization wouldn't move along with him and make compatible changes. Have you seen that before too? I I think there's always this um, you know. Uh, friction between the siloed departments in an organization, sales and operations, sales and marketing, and, and the, the, those you know, reservations are, are normal and, and we all have them when we're, we're sitting in those seats. I find that having good process and having good data, um, it takes some of the emotion out of some of those uh, conversations and some of those interactions. Right? It makes it gives you the, the ability to be a little bit more pragmatic in in the discussion. And um, and so I I, I haven't encountered a, um, a fear of uh, being accountable while others aren't, as much as um, just a, a desire to um, be on the same team, right? To, to eliminate some of the, dis, the the friction between working between departments. Right. And 
I mean, that's the point of a lot of process improvement is to identify that friction because friction is waste, right? And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and find a way to eliminate it. And it's remarkably difficult to do um, un unless you have some of these uh, these frameworks, these sort of, like you said, profound ideas um, like systems thinking, like root cause analysis. Um, what are some of the other ones that you think are, are key to uh, helping that communication take place across departments so the friction can be reduced? Um, great, great question. You know, I've, I'm not sure if this is uh, center of what you're asking, but uh, you know, the other principles that, that I think are important to the work is really making the system visible and yeah. the value stream mapping piece of it. Right. right? And, and that, that helps to get to, you know, that, that common understanding that's, that leaves the emotion at the side. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this question, because I, I know in talking, having been in the sales training industry for a number of years myself, um, I, I got a little frustrated because in the sales training industry, they have a tendency to think about a process as a sequence. It's merely a sequence. Do the work in this particular way, you know, with excellence and uh, follow this set of steps and everything will be better. Um, but a process has feedback. And depending on that feedback, you will have to, you know, respond and do things um, differently. The organization, not just the salesperson, may need to respond and do things differently. Um, and I, I don't know what your experience was in the sales training industry, but for, for me, that was something that they didn't, they, that was like above the pay grade. That's not what we do. We we teach salespeople how to use these skills and do the be the best that they can be, and that's it. Um, did you have a similar experience? Well, I, I could tell you that the, you know, the, a lot of the philosophy behind the, the, the Miller Hyman Group methodologies is um, isn't isn't that of that mindset, right? It isn't that hey, follow uh, these seventeen steps and we're going to uh, have success in these. 12 closing techniques. So I've always had an aversion to that. Um, and you know, there's this great cartoon that I used to put in the front of some of our playbook design sessions. And it was a, a, a salesman standing, standing over top of the, the purchasing manager's desk. And the purchasing manager, manager was trying to hand him a PO. And the salesperson says, no, no, no I'm sorry, Mr. Mr. P Mr. Purchasing Manager. I cannot accept your PO. I'm only on step 12. Of my 17 step sales. Process. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's the, the thing we want to avoid. I, what, what I find really helpful is understanding that there's, there's actually two processes happening at the same time there's a selling process and there's a buying process. Both are happening at the same time and they're, they're not always in alignment. And, 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 and what's going on in both of those processes isn't necessarily linear, right? But, but, but the more we can understand, you know, that buyer's journey and then try to align our selling process to that buyer's journey, the easier it's going to be, right? And, and, and to me, it's really all around making it really, making it really easy for the buying, uh, you know, the, the buying influences at the client and, and in these complex B2B 
sales. There's often multiple buying influences. Just making this decision as easy as possible for them, right? And, and, that, and, and the way you do that is really understanding that buyer's journey, that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just the salesperson that has to understand and respond to that buyer's journey. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. It, it, the the salesperson is that that tip of the spear that's often in, you know in front of the buyer, but the, the entire organization needs to be tuned into the the buying process and, and aligning to it. So our engineering resources, our our SNOP process, our uh, our, our supply chain. Yeah. Well, what's going on? At, you know, they all need to be tuned in. Could you explain uh, what SNOP is? Yeah, I'm sorry. So sales and operational planning processes, right? So how we get together and uh, provide a forecast to the manufacturing side of our house so that you know, the demand planning work can happen. Yeah, okay. And well, not to mention marketing, right? Product development. Yeah, yeah. Marketing has multiple roles. And, you know, the modern marketing organization really has a, a, a huge role to play in the buying process because with the availability of information today, you know, the modern buyer uh, does a lot of the discovering and learning parts of their buying journey without the aid uh, of a salesperson and without inviting that salesperson in. So marketing really is in the lead chair for the early stages of the buying process, and they need to provide content. They've got to be measuring uh, the, the, the engagement of those buying influences. They have to be have really tight processes with sales in terms of lead qualification, lead handoff, the feedback loop from sales in terms of the quality of leads and the ultimate return on investment for that demand creation work. Um, and as I mean, you recently were involved in uh, uh, engagement. Um, I know because we worked on it together <laughs> uh, where you had to take a team, including the uh, president of a company, and get them all sort of on the same wavelength with um, this this whole uh, concept, right? Can you tell us what was what was kind of the state of that business uh, before this uh, engagement? And then we'll talk about you know what the challenges were in getting them to the to where we wanted them to go. Yeah, for sure. So so the client you're referring to is a the large manufacturer in the Midwest and a really fantastic company with a fantastic culture. And they have for 10 years been building a, a really strong competency in lean manufacturing, lean operations. Uh, and they internally call it uh, their transformation uh, you know, organization and they've embedded transformation into their business units. And as part of that process, they, they, they use uh, you know, value stream analysis uh, as part of their annual strategic planning process. And they had ambitions to do it at the business unit level, so not just for, you know, the, the, the plants and the operations, but for the commercial functions. And, um, but to do that, we really had to uh, get a lot of folks in the sales and marketing organization that, that were not used to thinking about their functions in, in a systems way uh, engaged in that systems thinking. So, uh, you know, and Michael, this is where, you know, your work was just invaluable, uh, help to us to get this started. 
uh, we, we, we look at some of the, the, the tools that, that you have and that you talk about in your, in your books. And uh, we took everybody through an immersion event where we were able to apply that, uh, where they were able to apply that systems thinking and, and you know, talk about that in whatever detail you like. But that was really impactful for the group. I think it really primed them for the work in front of them around, you know, really, really having the data drive where we put our effort versus our gut feel. So give us some examples of how some of these people felt uh, before going into that um, uh, two-day workshop. I mean, what were their assumptions and maybe some of their frustrations? Um, Because it wasn't, you know, not all of them were all excited to be there, as I recall. No, no. And and, and there, you know, there was – there was a lot of the normal frustrations you'll see in any sales organization around um, clarity of, of role and purpose, uh, around the frustration around not making numbers. And there was a lot of um, activity, a lot of action that had been done by you know, leadership in the last couple of years that really didn't have, have much of an impact. Right. And so there's a little bit of a, initiative fatigue, if you will, right? I mean, we tried a new comp plan, we rolled out a new CRM system, and yet we still are getting these same results. What's wrong? Do, or do we have the wrong people? Right. right. And, um, and, and being able to unwind that and, and show through, you know, what I think is a, you know, a brilliant way of, of making that point through the, through the, the intellectual property you brought in. To the, You're talking about the, the sales process improvement game. Yeah, the sales process improvement game is a way of just demonstrating uh, that you know, you know, the, the 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 traditional kind of gut feel changes um, the risk and the and, and, and using that as your strategy versus really focusing on what the system, the feedback from the system, and what the system is telling you. And so that 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 sales process improvement game is part of our immersion event. I think really primed people for the work that was in front of us. And it set the stage for the data that the data collection that needed to happen in order for us to make informed decisions around what to do. Right. It was it, it was it was hugely impactful. Well, and so before we started, um, you had put a, a and others on your team had put a lot of energy into an agenda um, uh, that was going to kind of introduce some of these process concepts. Um, and I, I kind of talked you into, you know, wait a second here, let's, let's try this game because we don't have to teach them anything. They can teach themselves. If we give them a simulation environment where they actually have to sell something and then take data from that environment to figure out why can't we sell what, how to improve it. Um, and so, um, the, the, the end result of that was the, the team was able to then, after that exercise, they were able to um, use the things that they learned to more clearly define the problems they were trying to solve, right? We had walls filled with sticky notes, and we did cause and effect diagrams. Um, can you describe what some of the people said as they were going through that or what some of the realizations were? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the big lessons for for this client and, and for me too, and in, in applying this um, and, and collaborating with you on this project, 
was, uh, and we've had the opportunity to work with several business units at this client, but the first time we did it, um, it, one of the, the, the things we did, I think that was suboptimal, is, is uh, I said about a huge data collection process where, where, where I was collecting the data, uh, working directly with the owners of the data across the organization, and when we got together for the event, the first time we tried this, you know, we we presented the data to the, the folks in the business unit, and it was our it was our you know consulting view of the of the situation that then they could react to. And as you can imagine, um, you know that someone coming in and, and telling you about your data, you know, there's 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 always the opportunity to argue the fine points to not be bought into what the data is telling you because you, there was no ownership of it. Right. The second time we did this, we used the, the, the game as a way of, of, of explaining or showing the power in data. And then we, 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 went, we went to, a, a, to the model. We built a model sales and marketing factory value stream. And we walked through that model at each step of the process, we said, okay, so what kind of data at this stage in our, in our process would be most helpful? And then do, do you have it or, or, or should we get it? And then how are we going to get it? So we transferred the second time through, we, we tr after the game, um, we, we transferred ownership of the data needed and the data collection to the members of the team. So when we got back, when we got back together, to do the value stream analysis work, they own the data, they presented the data, they came in with ideas of what the undesired results were, what the theory of causes might be, and it made those those collaborative sessions in the room where we you know, where we affinitized and we, we developed theory you know cause theories, we developed potential countermeasures. It made those sessions so much more rich. Because of the because because they they own the data. Wow, um, it, was, it was really terrific. Well done, <laughs> well done. That that when I hear people say, well, the you know the problem with our sales force is that they're just not disciplined. They just won't follow the process we give them. I know right away that well, there's a management that doesn't understand how to work with processes because if you impose it on those people they're going to resist if you give them the problem to solve and help them solve it then they come up with the process and that's how that's the right way to do it that's using their energy uh, for your purposes um, and that's a much healthier way to run a company yeah yeah and it was it was a real light bulb moment for me uh, that you you know you struck a match that you struck for me on on that for, for for this these type of value stream analysis projects, you know, I, in, in lots of other projects that that Adamizzi has done, of course, a big part of it is you know the design session work where we enroll the participants and they get to you know own the output, and um, and I don't know why, but it was just a miss for me to think about approaching this project in that way, and um, you know, and you and you you, you uh, help us help me course correct that um, I wish I didn't engage you sooner so we could have maybe gotten it right the first time but, but we definitely um, from your help uh, was able to kind of 
iterated and I mean now we're, we've done this I think with three business units now we have two more scheduled and uh, we're really getting some momentum with this approach. Fantastic. So what are some of the improvements that these teams came up with? I mean, you know, if, if you're the hard-boiled, you know, president of this division and you've got aggressive numbers that your organization has to hit, your team has gone through this and they came up with improvements. Tell us some of the things that they've been able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. So so part one of the improvement initiatives was really around um, – market coverage right and, and as and as we did you know time studies for uh the inside sales team and the outside sales team and we we looked at data around uh where orders were coming from what size customer what region um what what popped out from the data was that we that the organization was really asking its field territory managers to to play three full-time jobs they were they they had to be you know the demand creation you know they had to play the role of marketing and and do demand creation within their territories they had to do uh, channel management as they were given a basket of distribution partners as well as direct accounts and they had to play the role of um, uh, customer escalation point for uh, order issues and um, and so one of the things after that was you know, visible. We made it visible through looking at a RACI in terms of who was responsible for what, looking at the territory through the lens of sales and market opportunity, and then looking at the time study and how inside and outside reps are spending their time. Uh, what, from all that, it became apparent that we needed to, to reorganize. We needed to, to clearly define the roles of, of the field sales rep, pull out the distribution management function, Pull out the small account uh, coverage, pull out the the uh, the order management piece, so that then the, the the TMs could be their scope of work would be around capturing the demand in their territory that we were after. Those uh, are, and those are big yeah, changes. They require, they're big changes, and, it, and and they wouldn't have been palatable had not you know the data been so compelling. Wow. So. Um, so they have they completed the reorg? No, no, it's it's still work in progress. Uh, so this this project has been going on now um, for about six months. Um, there's been some hiring done. There's been some uh, systems work done. There's a reorganization that's that's happening. There's been a couple of key hires made, a couple of, of, of reallocations of resource. But I anticipate it'll be another six months worth of work before the, the new organization uh, in this one business unit is kind of uh, in their future state that they're going for. Okay, and and that makes, um, it makes perfect sense, but I bet there's some people in our audience who are going, oh no, that Six Sigma process stuff, it always takes so long. We need to get results in the short term, right? What would you have to yeah. say to people like that? Yeah. Um, you know, we've had that conversation a lot with this particular client. Um, and this client has a, a promise to their shareholders to double their profitability every five years, and um, it's a it's a promise that they you know that they take seriously. And you know, if you if you look at that on a compound annual growth rate, well, you know, you've got to grow fifteen, sixteen percent a year across the portfolio. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and some of their larger business units where they had, you know, a lot of market share and, um, uh, you know, and, and a lot of, of revenue and, 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 and operating income being generated were growing at four or five percent. And, and they were laser focused on putting a believable plan forward for the upcoming year. And they were really good at it. And um, what what this work has been able to do is to say, okay, well, but let's let's extend the horizon of our planning beyond what we need to do for the next fiscal year, because we're already really good at forecasting the next fiscal year based on what we know. But if we're going to change our trajectory from growing four, five, six percent a year to growing 15, 20 percent a year, how are we going to do that? What's that business vision? And then and then and then. With that end in mind, with that three-year or five-year horizon in mind, now let's go back and think about, well, what are the things that you can't do in a year? Uh, you know, that, you know, what are the things that are going to take a long time but are absolutely necessary that we get started now in order to change the growth rate from 6 7 8% to 15 16 20% over the next three years? And in, in, in that, with that mindset change, then it then, then you know it it made the work more urgent yeah because you know we, you know it made the work even though we had a long term payoff it made it more urgent that we get started right now yeah I think a lot of people especially in large companies they underestimate the complexity of what's really happening and a lot of that complexity is between the ears of the people who are involved and some people can't see no one can see how the whole system works without an explicit means of doing so. And so while it can feel like, gee, we're working on this for so long, we're not getting results yet, but you really are getting results because you are getting the consensus and the commitment and the energy of a variety of people pulling in the same direction. And you can see that and you can you can you can even measure it in what they will say about their work life you know this is going better i feel good about this i mean there are ways that can measure it um it's not just uh you know fuzzy soft stuff um but you have to go look for those measurements to see that those things are in place when you make a change like a systems change or a training change if you decide what's the problem we're trying to solve and how will we know if we solved it. It's a little part of the big picture, right? And then did we actually achieve those things when we did it? And you did. It may not change the margin number yet, but it does solve a problem that the people were trying to work on. And it's from those baby steps that big changes uh, uh, happen. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, one of the things that, that Rich had helped me with you know, way back when, too, was I, you know, I, I called it you know, kind of being able to measure progress in millimeters, um, <laughs> but, but, re but, but really it was more around um, just being attuned to what uh, progress looks like in the early phases of, 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 of a change, right. Right? Of, 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 a, of, a, of a momentous change or shift in the business. Um, the early indicators of success, you have to make visible. And 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 they're, and they're and like I said, they don't show up in those, you know, the lagging indicators of the revenue and margin improvements that we're that we're going for. You know, by the time we see those, it's it's too late. Uh, and, and we just have to start recognizing what 
progress looks like in the in the near term? What are those leading indicators that's, that show that we're we're doing the right things and we're going in the right direction? Yeah. Um, so what are some of the other problems and challenges? And then then we'll wrap up this this last question. Um, you know, the problems and challenges that you see organizations having as they try to apply these principles um, and how they get around them. Yeah, one big problem is is, is I, I see often is that you know, if 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 our if the maturity of our just daily daily business processes in the sales and marketing functions aren't there, if they're if they're very you know random or informal processes in terms of the way we 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 run those factories today, uh, it's it's very hard to collect meaningful data. And often the first the first projects that need to be done are well let's let's just get some standard work and some standard measurements in place and that that that's you know that's foundational and then the next time the next time we go through this not only will we have uh, you know better outcomes from that from that you know more mature process approach but we're going to have a really rich data set that points out some very um, some things we could do where we really could predict change if we were able to impact them. And, and that's management's job, is in my view. Yeah. I think yeah. you would agree yeah. that that to give the people doing the work are the ones who own the problem, and management has to help them develop a shared understanding of the causes and the effects um, that they're enduring, really. Right, and so in yeah. that way, these tools of systems thinking and data, they can help those people solve the problem, and and that's how they motivate people when it's their problem and you're giving them a tool to help them, you know, you know, dig their way out of a hole or to accomplish something that they've always wanted to accomplish, and so it's sort of the jujitsu thing. You're, you're reversing the energy from the way typical managers approach it um, and enabling people to accomplish what's in their ambition. Yeah, for sure. And, I, and you yeah. just reminded me of, of something else. And, and, I, and I'm, I by no means am an, am an expert in the Shingo model. I've had just a you know, cursory um, exposure to it. But um, what, I, what I see a lot and what the model kind of sh you know, was an aha moment for me is I, manager, I see managers and senior managers in sales and marketing spending the majority of their time firefighting, right? right. And and they, they just can't, you know, they're, they're, they're co-combatants with their team to put out the fire, but nobody's focused on the systems or the processes. And then from a leadership perspective, you know, if, if, they're, if they are also in the firefight, they're not focused on the behavior and the culture. So just that simple concept of, you know, for the people in the field, let's make sure we're giving them really good tools and, um, and you know, uh, you know, giving them the ability to, to, to fight their own fires. And for the managers, focus their time and thinking on the systems and processes. Make sure your people are in a good system. And then for the leaders, just make sure we're rewarding the right behaviors. Right? And, it, and, it's, and, and while we're going to always reward business success, revenue and margin, um, are we rewarding transparency? 
are we awarding a problem solving thinking, a problem solving mindset? Are we rewarding, you know, the trans, you know, transparency in the way we approach our work and our, our fact based decision making? So focusing, you know, leaders on those things. I think, I think that, that just that simple and, and certain imperfect understanding of the Shingo model has been really helpful in just uh, the communication across the, the sales organization around who should be focused on what and yeah. why. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this is great. Can you provide us with, um, you know, any recommendations you would have for the audience or if you would have, uh, like, how can they get a hold of you if they would like to? Yeah. Yeah. And, and certainly I'm, I, I'm a, a huge fan of yours, Michael, and, and I absolutely endorse your body of work. Um, and, you know, through reading your book and through our early conversations is what, you know, what, what got me to want to bring you into this client engagement. And, um, and, and again, it's a lot of the success we've had here has been, thank you. Has been, has been, has been from your contribution. And I thank you for that. Um, uh, you know, People can reach me uh, either with through my email address, which is Steve S T E V E at Ottimizzi dot com O T T I M I Z Z I, and um, I'm also uh, available on, on LinkedIn. Just search for, for you know, Steve Hines with Ottimizzi. You should see me pop up, and um, you know, my my mobile would be welcome to to, to call as well as three zero one five zero one six 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 three. Super. We'll include these details in the announcement that goes out uh, on the podcast. And uh, Steve, I thank you very much. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Thanks, Michael. Look forward to working with you again soon. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.